And welcome on this Saturday, April 27th, and I've got a special guest for you, and this is one of my best friends in the world and one of the greatest handicappers I've ever met, the champ himself, Michael Baychuk. Mike, welcome. Hey, Bernard. Thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate it. <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I was considering your, your proclamation of one of the greatest handicappers ever, which I don't think I am, but I do appreciate the, uh, the Did you kind, have to swallow kind. hard on that one? Or I did. What? Did I you did. fall yes. down? I, I had to swallow it extremely hard because that's, that's hard to swallow. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very well, lofty proclamation. Well, how many people can say they're their champion? You won the 2012 NHC championship. How many people can say that? I think only, uh, you know, 19 or 20 people. So That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Let's talk to a little bit before we get into your handicapping and your style and what you think and, and you know, anything that's going on lately will put you on the spot. Um, tell people a little bit, where did you come from? How did you get into handicapping? And um, what led to you get to your NHC championship? Well, that's a long story, so I'll, but I'll shorten it up because I know we got I, all the time in the world. Okay. We're so, sitting back and grabbing a drink, and I've got a very interesting introduction. Uh, so, uh, when I was twelve or thirteen, uh, my father uh, had, had someone at his law firm that uh, was going to babysit me at twelve or thirteen for <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> while my dad went and worked. So uh, this fellow took me to the track for the first time, and that was the fairgrounds. And that's where I kind of fell in love with just the competition of, you know, putting your opinion against uh, someone else's opinion uh, on a regular basis. And that person was James Carville, who turned out uh, to do, you know, his own big things in the political world. like great like guy, a, a president of the United States. Guy. Yeah. And he still, we still go to the track together. Uh, my goodness. It's, uh, you know, 40 years later. So we still enjoy that. And that's how I got into handicapping. I was not a, you know, I was a losing player, um, until I started really getting into contests and contest, um, you know, sometime in the 10, 15 years ago, maybe something like that, playing some contests online, you bet. Uh, having some success and just figuring out that, you know, you got to find long shots or longer shots than just picking winners. And um, I I know that sounds very simple, but, you know, to to transition from a, I just want to pick winners to show people and prove that I can pick the winner of the race to, I don't care if I pick one winner out of 15, as long as that winner pays, you know, on average 12 to one or 15 to one, then you're, you know, you're, your, your much better position. So I made that transition and then, you know, truthfully, and I'm not just saying this because we're on your podcast, Bruno, but you know, the next forward leap that I made was actually, uh, you know, examining workouts and with your information from California back in must've been 2010, something like that. Um, which led me to, you know, 2011, 2012 when I won the championship. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of the, my, uh, path as a, as a handicapper. And I've, again, I don't profess to be the greatest ever. Um, I think I'm okay. 
uh, I'll put my game up against anybody else's game on any day in a contest from a pair mutual basis. I'm clearly not, um, not in the top tier of people. I'm just not a, you know, not a great money game player or paramutual player on a daily basis. Well, the one thing I can tell you is in 2012, you were. <laughs> and, um, and I can tell you this too, that any given day, any given horse player can be the best on any given day. And you could be the greatest today and you could be the worst tomorrow. That's the beauty about this game. Um, I can go back and give you the exact weekend. Um, I think you contacted me about workouts. We talked a little bit and we kind of hit it off, you know, and I'm not the easiest guy to hit it off with because I usually kind of, I'm kind of prickly, um, you know, and because of the demand that's on me, a lot of times some people wanted to get info. So, but you and I hit it off and I, Remember, I was in the press box. We had just made the move to Kentucky. We had left California. It was 2011 Thanksgiving weekend. And I remember, you probably will remember this. Remember we had a Bernie Flint first time started that paid $67? I don't, was that Arch, Arch, Arch? Or No, that it, was the, the year before. Yeah. That, yeah, that but was, it was the at year church, before. But, but it was at Churchill, I remember. Yeah. 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 And then we had yeah. Animal Kingdom. That's right. That year. Yeah. And then we're sitting up in the press box and um, you called me <laughs> and you said to me, this is taking me to a new level. Workout information, the right workout information has taken my handicapping to a new, a new level. I'll never forget that because, you know, it was brand new for me to come to the East Coast. And here I am with this gentleman that I'm, haven't even met yet you know and you know personally and it's all of a sudden you know he's telling me hey this is working for me and one of my personal highs in the game was watching you win that nhc championship can you share with your fan with your fans and people <laughs> out there you have fans trust me a lot of people <laughs> like you you know uh, and um, share a little bit about how did it happen? What did it feel like? And it basically put you in the spotlight. Yeah, well, it definitely, you know, put me, you know, in a in a different light and, and in a spotlight. And I'm, I'm, you know, was not afraid in the years that followed to embrace that and try to do some things, some good things for other folks and horses along the way. So, but just getting into the 2012 um, NHC, I had finished 23rd the year before. Um, and that was kind of the first year that I'd walked in there and thought that I could actually win the thing. And, I, you know, I, I know confidence is, is a, is a, you know, a fleeting thing in, in this, game and but the years of 2010 11 and 12 were just were the three best years i've ever had paramutually a lot to do with your information i won a couple of big pick sixes at santa anita um but when i walked in in 2012 you know i just knew that uh i could win it um and that's a big thing for 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 horse players well at least for me um i knew i was ready prepared um, and I was as good as anybody else in the room. So, you know, the first day I started out, 
Um, I think I had one really big winner, which was a first-time starter at Santa Anita, Melrose Woods, and yes, he was Dan Hendricks. He, he was forty-five to one uh, on the first day, and I played him as an optional. And uh, you know, you get the people. Well, you're just stabbing because you know you're. But it was the first day, and it was relatively early. But the truth is, is that my brother and I both bet a lot of money on the horse. So we, we were betting our opinion on that horse. That was definitely not a stab. And so, you know, I went into the second day um, kind of like in the top 30. Uh, and but, but I knew that I was in great position to, uh, to win it. And so my confidence was really high. And, again, that's just something that's, for me, important. And then the second day I just kind of got hot. You know, um, I won a, a race at uh, Gulfstream with Who Why. I think that that she might have paid fifteen to one, twelve to one, something like that, and it just kind of pushed me up the leaderboard. I never had the lead, so going into the, you know, the last um, the last race of the whole contest was at Golden Gate, and I was a you know uh, I think I was like eleven dollars behind Dan, uh, Dave Flansbaum, who is a terrific guy who had the lead late in the day and kind of held on to it. And I picked, you know, the winner of this golden gate race. Um, it was a maiden and, uh, she paid three to one and it was, uh, you know, a dollar more to, uh, than I needed. <laughs> so I won the thing by a dollar. Um, but you know, if, if I hadn't have won that, that race, I, I, I still would have, you know, I, I know I would have been disappointed, uh, not winning the championship because first place and second place difference was I think like 900,000 uh which is a lot um but I mean I knew that I had done everything that I could and made the right choices along the way and not made any mistakes and that's kind of the biggest thing in a contest you know you if you don't if you make the right decisions but those results don't come out the way you think then you really don't have anything to 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 blame if you make bad decisions so picking, you know, sh- horses that you shouldn't or short prices or stabbing too much. Those that's when you can go back and say, man, I just, I just made a mess of that whole contest. But that, that particular year I made all the right decisions and I got all the, you know, the right head bobs. And, you know, you, you have to do that to beat the guys that are and the women that are, that are playing these tournaments. Cause they're very, very good. So everything that, went, everything went my way. So let's, let's, uh, we're going to circle back to the confidence level. The way you just said, but I want to keep going. You talked about the horse that won the tournament for you. Tell us what happened after that with that horse. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had never up until that point, And look, winning a million dollars puts you in a different, you know, perspective, gives you a little bit more perspective. Uh, and so Glorious Dancer was the name of the horse. And it was a 12-5 maiden claimer. Um, she won, she, um, she, she then ran another race and, uh, she lost. And I think they dropped her down to like 7,500. And, uh, I, I just thought that, you know, sh- this horse had, had changed my life forever. Uh, and I didn't, I know that when horses, you know, get on the path of a, a downward spiral, especially, you know, at a lower level track, Golden Gate is certainly not, you know, is high level, but she was running low level. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened to her a month later. So I got, you know, a couple my brother and another friend of mine, and we, we claimed her, uh, because I I just wanted to take care of her, make sure that she was going to be okay for the rest of her life. 
Now, let's honestly, if she had been running for twenty five thousand or thirty thousand or fifty, I, I may have made a different decision. Uh, I may have found some more partners. I'm not sure, but as <laughs> it turned out, I claimed her. Uh, Steve Sherman, who you put me in touch with, as a matter of fact, um, trained her for me. We actually won a race. Nice. I didn't know this. This is great. Yeah, no, we won. I think we won a race right after he claimed her uh, for me. And then um, she came up with a little bit of an issue. Um, uh, you know, would have taken her off for three or four months. And uh, so I said, look, that's it. You know, uh, we're just going to ship her back to Louisiana. My thought was I'm going to bring her back here. I'm going to breed her. I'm not going to race her. And Steve talked me out of the breeding because she was a really bad bleeder. Um, and so she, he just didn't think that that was, you know, that would be a good idea. And so I, I donated her to uh, a horse rescue group here in Louisiana. She went to a neurosurgeon, uh, Laurie Summers in Covington, Mandeville, Folsom area. And she is a, I would, she's not a world-class polo pony, but she is a high-class polo that pony. Is, she, she travels the world. She goes to Columbia. She goes to Florida. She goes, you know, so, and look, she's, um, what is she now? So she's three, she's probably 10. And I just saw, you know, a picture the other day and she's still, you know, she's still out great. there playing, playing polo. So, but the thing is, Bruno, that, you know, it really changed my outlook on, and that really changed my life and focus and I being able to um, advocate for and give voice to horses in the aftercare that they deserve. And I really was, um, you know, before that I never really paid attention, didn't really much care to be honest. I mean, I was just betting the horses and they were providing me with entertainment and um, my attitude totally changed. And, you know, I've devoted an awful lot of time and money over the past, you know, eight years to making sure that we do much, much more uh, for these horses um, after they race. Amen on that. And, you know, a lot of it right now, what you get a lot on social media is a lot of people want to show off how much they're doing on social media. See, all of this stuff, some of these things I did not know that you were behind the scenes and stuff because you're not a guy that goes out there and say, Hey, look what I just did. Um, I know I've given away horses to, to people to give them away as ponies. One of them came back to bite me in the butt. Remember Dubai Bob. Yeah. I, I do gave him away that. because yeah. I gave him away to a family. You know, he was, he, he, we had spent a year and a half to two years to try to bring him back off a, a bow tendon. A year and a half later, I see Paul Matisse has got him. Your, your boy, you know, Paul Matisse, the, the tournament mm -hmm, player. Mm -hmm. And the horse ends up winning $100,000. You know, and I had to be happy for Paul. They put a lot of money into him to get that tendon right. You know, I know, I know. I remember I looked at Rudy Del Judas, my trainer. I said, what are you doing to me? <laughs> are you killing me? You know, I love that horse. But, but you know, a lot of times people love to sit there and, 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 and put their pom-poms out and show you how much they're donating. I love the people that don't put anything on social media at all. They just go out there and do it. Now, let's circle back. Confidence level. Great topic. There's a lot of guys out there. I come across a lot of guys at the track like you do. My favorite one is a guy I call Lloyd. And he'll <laughs> walk towards me. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. Anyway, he'll walk towards me. And he'll be shaking his head like in no. 
and saying, I love a horse today. And to me, when I see that body language, that is a horse player that's telling me, I love this horse and I have no shot in the world of cashing a ticket on it. (laughs) But if you know enough people, you know enough people out there, Mike, there's so many people that absolutely have the wrong body language, the wrong idea, just the wrong attitude going in on on a horse or, or in horse racing. And they cannot help themselves but lose. I myself go into a race thinking I've got to make the best of it decision possible. If I can't, then I'm not betting. You seem to have the same. What is your advice for players out there that really lack any confidence whatsoever when they go to the windows? I don't know if I have. I don't know if I have a lot of good advice for people that if you're trying to build some confidence, and I'm certainly been in this position before uh, and will be in this position again, trying to build confidence after a, you know, a tough run first, take a break. Um, You know, just take a break, take, take a break from handicapping, Uh, even watching races. I just think it refreshes your mind and gives you more perspective and it kind of flushes out the, you know, some, some of the bad thoughts and, and, and bad um, uh, decision make tree, things that you're doing that are wrong so you know start over that's number one and then number two when you start back start back with you know don't try to hit the pick four or the pick six you know just make a win bet you know or make a show bet or something like that you really this is me and i'm you know i i I envy the handicappers that that don't seem to go through this but there are cycles of course in handicapping i go through them they're good times they're bad times um so this is just from personal experience. So I would just – those type of players, you know, when you're in a rough spot, if you can, just take a, take a few steps back. And welcome back. We, we seem to have a little miscue here. We lost Michael. We got him back on the line. Michael, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago at Saratoga, I made a giant score on a horse named Pure Shot from Steve Asperson. Played $48. Uh, he had a huge pick four for me. I want to tell the story on, on, from a perspective that I had on how it happened at, at the windows or at, on, on, my, on my computer as I played it. Um, I was setting all up for the first race because I was planning on singling pure shot in the last leg of the pick five at, at Saratoga. And I'm sitting there with about 10 minutes to go before the races. And I put a beer down, my sole beer. Right on the counter, I have my TV there and everything. I knock it over. My beer goes all over the place, on the TV, under the TV, under my computer. I'm scrambling to pick papers and everything up so it doesn't get soaked. That's not a way to start the day if you're playing. And so I clean it all up, and I'm already, I already got that Lloyd look on my face, you know, shaking my head, going, I'm not going to catch a thing today. It's exactly what you said earlier. Take a step back. I took a step back. The first race runs at Saratoga. I don't play. In fact, my horse wins. And in my mind, I'm trying to keep calm. I clean up everything, you know, because you don't want beer stickiness all over your desk while you're trying to work. Just doesn't work. So I go through all of that. Comes to the pick four time. I play it. Single pure shot. And 
I think I had a nine to one that won the second leg, and then I started thinking, whoa, sticking step back and taking a deep breath and getting another beer and not <laughs> spilling it might have done the trick. And sure enough, Pure Shot wins at $48, and we at Keys at $25,000 pick four. But to me, that was the whole, the whole afternoon. I was more proud of my ability of mentally handling that situation without having a meltdown, without running out and, and screaming and yelling and cussing and everything, but just taking care of everything, deep breath. Now, speaking of that, the confidence level to be able to do that and the ability to mentally to handle it, horses aren't any difference, are they? Pro I don't, I don't, you know, the horses and their attitudes and mentality better than I do, but, uh, you need to, uh, you know, I've heard this from you and from others, horses need to build their confidence too. You know, uh, that's why they drop in class. And that's why when you see them win, it's sometimes a light bulb goes off, you know, and they get that confidence back and they, and they perform better. I, I think, yeah, horses, uh, are, are, are a lot like horse players. Sometimes we, we need to drop in class a little bit. <laughs> before, we can, before we can, you know, hit the win again, it seems like. And, and, and what's interesting to me is the mentality of the horse and the mentality of the horse player is along sometimes the same parallel. Is that, for example, look at Omaha Beach. He couldn't win the first couple of races, right? Richard Mandela even said he had a little heart issue in the first couple of races. He wouldn't win a photo. Um, and then all of a sudden he wins the race. And then all of a sudden he wins two races. And now he's toying with competition. As a handicapper, what, what drives Michael Baychuk to try to excel at the races? There's something that drives us, all of us. What drives you? Well, that's a great question. Um, I like the competition. Um, and, and I don't mean, you know, with my pocketbook, I mean, with other players, I know that, you know, when I'm at the track at Saratoga and I'm drinking beer, hopefully drinking more than I'm spilling, um, <laughs> which is not always the case. Uh, I'm competing against you, you know, I'm competing against every other player in the country who's betting into those pools. And, it, you know, if uh, that's just to me, the ultimate reward, I mean, look, the money is nice when you win, but also in contests, which is, I think, why I'm driven so much to the contest is, you know, you know explicitly um, who you're playing against every time you enter a contest. Uh, and there are some people, you know, you have rivalries and you want to beat those folks more than you want to beat other folks. And you have, you know, friendships and almost, you know, where you, you, you really don't mind if you're going to lose, you know, I don't mind losing to Tommy, you know, or, uh, or, Macis, right? Tommy yeah. Macis or, yeah. or, or Garrett or, you know, Skiba or Doc Anthony Trezor, John Hurd. I mean, all these are, you know, friends of mine, you know, um, that I, I, I love to see do well. If I can't win, I'd, I'd rather them. And there are other people that I'd rather not see do well. And I think that's what drives, you know, me, uh, in contests, uh, I, I, you know, to, to play, to do as well as I can and to put as much time as I personally need to. Some people can just walk into, you know, a tournament and, and a card and, and handicap it. And um, I know that for me to do my best, that's just not the way um, that, that I, I, can, I can achieve the best results for myself. 
What's interesting, you mentioned Garrett Skiba, you mentioned Tommy Macis, I have to throw in Brian Harity. Uh, those are three guys that are all racing with Bruno guys, and I don't know if you even knew that. Um, I know you know Tommy is. Uh, Tommy's a character. I've got to get Tommy Macis, except I've got to be able to turn on the explicit language <laughs> sign on here. Right. Uh, he can be a little rough sometimes, those Canadians, you know, you can't trust them. But uh, – <laughs> But, uh, you know, Tommy Macis is, a lot, is really kind of funny. Every other word is bro, you know? Yeah, no, so, he's, he's a character. He's, a, he's and, a racetrack character. And it's not B-R-E-A-U-X like you're used to down there. <laughs> right. But uh, so tell us a little bit to handicappers, a little bit. What kind of handicapper are you? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, you know, I think I'm evolving, and, and, and that's probably, you know, I am in a period of struggle currently and and i just think that some of the things that i have been doing in the past are not uh as valuable to me as tools anymore i'm not gonna you know name what they are but um there are certain things out there that that are just not valuable in terms of finding value as much as they used to be and there are certain things that are more valuable these days um that are newer products on the market that i'm trying to integrate and learn a little bit um, into, into my handicap. And I think I've turned a little bit more into a pace handicapper and trying to, I've always been pretty good at visualizing how a race is going to be run and, um, then extrapolating, you know, a decision from that. And I think because of their new pro there are new products on the market that are even helping me visualize that even better. Um, I'm just, you know, tinkering with a couple of them to try to see, you know, Brisnet has new pace figures. Tom Form US has pace figures. Uh, there's optics that has charts and graphs. And I think all those kind of show you or can show you how the race is going to be run, which I think, you know, is really more key these days than how fast a race was run or how fast a horse has run. Um, so because I think everybody can now see that clearly and there's less value in that. Um, so that's kind of more, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty, I'm think I'm in a transition. The, 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 the thing that's always been the foundation though, is, you know, uh, is, is workouts. And because there are so many, you know, maiden races and, and two-year-old and three-year-old races where there are, there is no farm and you can't tell um, how a race is going to be run. Um, and you need to know just a little bit more. And I don't think that the public has generally embraced that quite as much as they should. And I'm glad for that. Uh, on my account, not on yours. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of gives you just a little bit better edge over, over your competitors. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for, you know, uh, an information edge over what the guy next to you or the woman next to you in a contest or power mutually is playing. You want to have more and better information. And I think workouts still do give you that, that edge. And I think, you know, over the years, I've also, progressed um and i you and i had the the fortune and misfortune of owning a couple of horses together um <laughs> we were, we actually had a really good one named shavi we did and yeah. he was 80 to 1 in the futures book uh in 2011 for the 2012 derby until he bowed a 10 then um and the biggest thing that really made me take a step if people have followed me and they think I'm just a workout guy, they have not noticed the change in my own approach of looking at horses. 
And what I mean by that is, is the ability of looking at the way horses look in the morning and judging them um, physically from my experience that I'm gathering as buying my own horses. I will give you a great example. Um, Boldor. I was at Saratoga around August 8th, and Boldor works uh, for Steve Asmussen, and he works 59 and 1. Ran hard every step of the way. Ran really, really ran a big, big race. Big work, sorry. So I'm watching Boldor, and you've been with me at Saratoga up on the fourth level on the turf terrace looking down as they come back out of, out of a work from the gate. And I'm watching the horse come up underneath me, and I was with Brian Lazarica and, and, um, and another, another uh, guy that works with us. And as Boldor came up underneath us, his eyes were budging out. He was exhausted. He was tired. It looked like that work put him right over the edge. I made a note in my sheet that it was over the top. That work was too fast for him. And it was a very fast work. Well, Steve Asmussen in his own Hall of Fame brilliance sees it too. He doesn't run him. He gives him a break, brings him back, and he's training at this past fall meet at Keeneland. And this time when he works him from the gate, he gets them to go slow down. He goes 48, 101, 113. Now, I don't have to see a fast work from Boldor. I know what he can do. I saw it at Saratoga. That tipped him over the edge. Well, at the same time, I'm taking my dog for his heart surgery up in Ohio State. He had to have balloon plasty to open up pulmonary, his pulmonary arteries. So I've got this whole personal thing with this puppy that I absolutely adore. So we go up to Ohio State for two days. He goes through surgery. Thank God everything comes back fine. We bring him back. And on my way back down, I remembered. Because the night before I did the handicap, Bulldoors running today in the seventh at Keeneland. And I'm looking at my watch, and I'm driving back down from Columbus, back down to Lexington, and I'm thinking, I'm going to make it for this. So I get home, Mike. We get the dog situated. We get him set up and everything, which was one of my biggest thrills of my life to have that dog be okay after we, what we went through with him. And I sit down, and the post break comes up. It's the first leg of the pick four. He's sitting at a fat four to one against a horse named Supersteed from Larry Jones, where, where Boldor pops the gate just like I thought he would. He grabs the lead. He opens up. Supersteed comes at him. He never lets Supersteed by. What the tenaciousness I saw in the work two and a half months before, three months before, he did that day. Pays $12, hit the exact. I hit the pick four for $7,000, which pays for Michael's surgery. That, to me, was showing discipline and showing me to I can use information from the past. And I'll give you another one. Remember Gentleman's Bet at, at, uh, in Florida at Gulfstream, $76, first time starter for Wayne Catalano at the time? Um, that was another one uh, that we had information from before. We pulled it off this past weekend. 
Keelan yep. with winning number sure from the yep. September work that I saw. So my whole handicapping and and clocking and watching horses, it's moved to a different era of understanding the horse worked 59 in September. This is winning number. He didn't come out of it right, probably shins, knowing the time uh, that he was off. He comes back. He has the good work. He doesn't have to show you anything. Boom, he pops. A lot of players forget about those horses, or maybe they yeah. don't see that. And Well, that yeah, that was information that, you know, not too many people had. I had it. Tommy had it. Tommy used it. I played that horse in a, in a contest on uh, Derby Wars. It was a benefiting uh, – the thoroughbred retirement foundation, I think. And uh, I played it as a pick and pray and put the nine in at the end. And it was a live contest, of course. And uh, everybody else, you know, who needed to, to uh, a bomb played the nine uh, as well. So, um, but that was just fantastic information. Tommy Massey's course turned it into a, a, a huge score hitting the pick six. Um, and he's always but, been really good to give credit. And a lot of people are not, you know, you have always been fantastic. Not that I'm asking for people to say, hey, you know, but if you get it from somebody, give them credit. It's karma. I believe in karma. And the one thing about it is when we talk about, you know, you're talking about you're going through a transition. For me, transition is just to be better at being able to look at horses and pass that on that information to, to the better. For example, I'll have great information on War of Will. I think I have really good information on Tacitus. I, I think I'll have excellent information when Maximum Security shows up and what he looks like. All those little things, are the horses aren't going to change, right, Mike? That what they are physically, they're the ones that are going to be the same in 10 years from now. Well, they certainly change over 30 days and 60 days, right, um, in terms of appearances and as you said you know a horse may look great you know 30 days ago and then he shows up and he's not looking as well i don't have that eye that's why i rely on folks like you you know to uh to point that kind of stuff another out. one was uh, backyard haven remember last year a year ago yeah ran a super yeah. race on kentucky oaks Day. i think he won the alashiba didn't he he may have, but he, didn't he win? That's right. Yeah, he, he did. And then he was favored in the Foster, yes. possibly. Or? And he showed up underneath me last year for the Foster two days before, and I looked at him, and he looked nothing like he looked back then. Yeah. And I went, oh, okay. Game <laughs> on. And that was the day that we beat La uh, Axeman, who looked horrible for Baffert. We beat World Approval, who was done. And we beat um, the likes of um, uh, Backyard Haven and, and the um, and I think it was a sixty five thousand dollars score in the pick five. Uh, got hit it three times, um, but but that's the kind of information that that's the kind of information that players want to see. And I think you have learned. I don't know if you do this, but do you? Can you hear me sometimes? When you're looking at my sheet, telling you something? Absolutely. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. No, no, but that you, you hit that right on the head. I do because I, I do. I hear you saying it. And uh, when you're writing and I know when you're, you know, yeah, when you're 
I know what you mean when you're when you're writing what you what you want to mean, uh, even though it's not probably coming across to everybody. But I do I do hear you in my ear sometimes. And and I'm really and people and that's one reason I started this podcast. It's because I wanted people to get to know me that maybe just see me from from a uh, as I've got a, I don't know if that's you or me, but I've got one customer that keeps writing to me wanting to know what a look means on our sheet. The LQQK sounds like, uh, you know, people don't understand that's our best bet note notation, you know, <laughs> and, um, the, the, you know, the one thing is, is I wanted to get people to get to know sometimes your Twitter persona or whatever doesn't come across as who you are, but people think that's who you are, you know, and this way they get to hear us. And, and the one thing that I enjoy, and, and I'm talking to folks out there when I went, Michael, and I hope some of you have met Michael. Michael is one of the most positive, nicest, competitive people I've, I've, I've ever met. And it makes it pleasurable. Because how many times you've been out there, Michael, and so you meet somebody and they look at you and go, well, I'm better than you. I'm a better handicapper than you. We get that all the time, don't we? <laughs> I think I think I get that quite. I don't know if people actually say that, but they certainly I know that I have a target, you know, on my back. And that's fine because I am more known than some other folks, especially at the contest in the contest world. So that's fine. I don't I don't mind that. I am I am a bit opinionated. No, uh, I'm a no. nice guy, but I I am a bit opinionated and I'm not afraid to share my opinions with people. And on Twitter and, uh, you know, I, I know what comes with that, but, um, and I'm not saying I'm always right. I just, I am saying I always have opinions. Um, so, well, and I well, will share them. Let's, let's talk a little bit. What are you doing right now? What do you do? Where can people find Michael Bacha? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, they, they, I'm fairly active on Twitter. Um, and, and for different reasons, I'm not, I don't sell really any products, uh, you know, horse racing related. Um, but I, I am very, uh, active now and again, sharing opinions and insights and, um, trying to, you know, change the, the, the direction of our industry, which I think, uh, with horse racing in general, um, which I think is, uh, at a tipping point. And we're, you know, we need to, we need to take control of our, of our destiny rather than let other folks outside of our industry or other folks who have their own agendas, you know, take the horse racing industry in their direction, which I don't agree well, with. Tell, so, tell me a little bit about you know, what you think right now is happening and how you would fix it. Well, I don't know that I have a fix, um, but I do know that you know, we, we, we have too many factions in horse racing and the recent, you know, 23 deaths in, in California was just an eye opener um, for, for our industry and how we handle crisis and how we handle internally, you know, changing right. things. Um, and first, you know, from, I'm a polit I'm a pub, I'm a communications public relations expert, um, a crisis communications expert. And the way we handled as an industry, the crisis in California was, um, it, it wasn't even amateurish. It was malpractice. Um, we had no single voice, um, which was responding. We still have no single voice responding today, or for that matter, 
we don't even have a proactive um, message. You know, we are still in a reactionary mode, which is, which is playing defense when other people are trying and other organizations are trying to um, destroy horse racing, to be honest. And we just don't have a single voice. And I think the first thing that we need to do, and I saw that Craig Burnick posted this yesterday or the day before, and it's nice to say, but, and I agree with him, you know, we need to compromise with each other in the industry, um, but, and come up with one singular message so that we can take on the people that want to take us down. And until we do that, we're going to be splintered. And there's going to be different factions of breeders, owners, trainers, horse players, tracks, you name it. And we're all going to be fighting against each other, which is what the, the opposition, the PETA, PETA organizations of the world want to see us do because we'll just destroy ourselves from within and they don't really have to do the hard work. So, you know, look, for if I could fix things, I would love to see that these different groups could sit down uh, in a room and work out a plan that we all agree upon and can execute over the next year so that we don't have to fight this battle the next time that there's a rash of breakdowns um, at a racetrack because we're going to lose even more ground the next time that this happens. And we just, I just don't feel like we have a plan uh, and we're just being reactionary. The, the anti-LASIX, I don't care where you come down on, the Lasix argument, whether you're for it or against it, and I see great arguments for it or against it, that's a completely reactionary um, and defensive move by the industry um, without input from horsemen, by the way. And I just think that's just it, – it, it, it's serving an agenda um, of a certain group of, of people that are in the industry that does not serve the greater good of, of the, the whole industry. I think I couldn't have put it better so, myself. As I said, Bruno – as I said, I'm, I'm very opinionated uh, and I'm not going to sit back and, you know, say this, just say this kind of stuff on Twitter or on your podcast. I mean, I'm actually working um, to change the dialogue and working to change, you know, our reaction as an industry to these challenges that we have or else. We're not going to have – we won't recognize the horse racing industry. How can we help years. Michael Baychuk? <laughs> I don't know yet. That's a great question. I don't yet know. You know, when I come upon uh, the, the, the group that I want to be affiliated with and work with uh, to get some of these changes done, I will certainly let the world know. Currently – uh, I work very closely with the National Thoroughbred Welfare Organization. This is back to aftercare um, that was started by Victoria Keith of Fox Hill Farm and Maggie Moss. And we're making great, great strides in Louisiana. We've made great strides in Louisiana to stop the horses from going to kill pens. We've rescued over 100 horses in the last six months. And we're changing, we're, we have legislation in the legislature pending next week that will change the the funding for for aftercare in louisiana and could generate eh, maybe a couple hundred grand a year for organizations to take care of horses so i'm very proud of what they have done maggie and victoria and also proud to be working with them and that's why i've got a little bit of a rooting interest in uh, omaha beach because I, I want you know victoria who 
who runs or helps manage Fox Hill Farm, uh, I want them to do very well because Rick Porter has been a you know been our main funder for the past. And racing six with Bruno would be glad to help you out in any way we can to get the message out. So you and I we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna figure out um, we're gonna figure out how, to, how racing with Bruno can fit in and help you out, whether it's putting a banner on our site or something like that. So count us in. Michael, have you looked at the Churchill card for tonight? I have not. Have you looked at any races across the country? Uh, don't, don't know that. Uh, well, I'm playing one contest today, so I'll start looking. I need to start. Can I give you a couple? Soon. But tell you what, um, why don't I give you a couple of horses then? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking right now. That I just pulled up your sheet for go Churchill, to the last so race. I'm looking for that. Okay, I'm looking for that L O O K. The L Q Q K. That's supposed to be eyeballs. L Q Q. People don't understand what that is. It's look. It's look. But for me to be able to give it that highlight and actually be able to differentiate look from a regular look connotation is the two Qs. So we're actually able to highlight it by using the two Qs instead of. Uh, instead of the uh, whoever's texting you is driving me nuts. <laughs> um, but in the ninth race, uh, let's talk about the six horse, Sir Navigator. It, this horse is eight to one. He gets the fire icon. If this horse runs back to some of the sprints that he had prior in his career before the layoff for Ken and Sarah Ramsey, he gets Flo Giroux. This horse is going to be tough. If you looked at him on paper, I, I put no him on top. No. I put him on I'm top sorry. over eight, yeah. Bella Tapissieri, who has had knee issues. And I know this horse was a three-year-old that people wanted to buy as a prospect, but his knees weren't right. Something was wrong with his knees back as a three-year-old. Uh, he, you know, Keneally claimed him, ran him for 30, won with him, now steps him up for 40. So he's not really protecting him. He's saying, you can have him now. Uh, but take a look at the sixth, Sir Navigator in the ninth. So- all right, I have a question. So the fire designation is is not as okay. good as the, the fire look designation, designation. All the computer that we have, we have a lot of automation and makes my job so much easier. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a hot jockey, hot trainer, you have a a, a, a strong delta. Any two or three factors for us that is strong will give a generator fire icon. It's just a visual thing that says, wait a minute, this horse has two or three factors out of five uh, with racing with Bruno, for example, the Delta, the trainer, the jockey lately that says this horse is live today. That's new information. That's good. I'm glad I'm I'm learning. Learn hot horse equal trainer, jockey. Okay, good. Hot, hot. Yeah. And cold with that. You also have cold. Right. Yes. Every now and then. You'll, yeah, that'll okay. show up as two ice cubes. Very good. And people. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had. Hey, it they sure showed up a couple of jocks, yeah. and they kind of looked at me. And goes, why am I getting the ice cube? I said, because you're over thirty-two. Yeah. Well, I won a race yesterday. Well, it's not in the books yet, you know. But hey, Michael, it's been great to have you on. Tell people if, if they're it's in the, the. I think you put your picks in the, in the paper, right? I, I do the picks for the fairgrounds um, uh, in the in the newspaper when they're running. Uh, I will also have picks um, on Brisnet for Oaks Day and for Derby Day. 
and those will likely be up on Wednesday and Thursday. So they'll be up. I'll, I'll have to do my homework in the next, you know, as soon as I draw the cards, I'm going to get on it and those picks will be ready. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, both Oaks day and uh, Derby day. I think I've got a long shot. If Bruno DiGiulio would, is going to bless my pick, which I think he might. He might. We don't have to agree, but you can say, I know if you can say the horse is working good, looks good, that's all I need to know. Um, And I think I've got a really big long shot for the Derby. And, Michael, i got to tell you, you've always been a big, big supporter. Um, You've been a great friend, and you're a fantastic racetrack individual personality that I love to follow. It's been great to have you on. I can't believe we went 50 minutes. It's good. You said this would take 10 or 15 well, minutes. I have a lot of opinions. I have I said that well, already about 10 I, times. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's right. I have a lot to say. So, and I appreciate you letting me have this forum uh, and get some, some of these uh, opinions out. And uh, you can follow me at Baychock Racing at, on Twitter. That's where you'll find some more opinions. Hey, if I you keep coming them. with those opinions and uh, – we love hearing it. So, <laughs> we I want to thank I want to thank Michael Baychuk for taking the time out of his out of his day and spending an hour with us. And I hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you at at the Derby, Michael. And good luck with your picks. And everybody out there, go to racingwithbruno.com. Get the races tonight at uh, Churchill Downs. See how that track's playing. And let's have some fun. Have a great day. <laughs>